Please note this episode of the Financial Standard podcast was recorded on October 19, prior to the resignation of Liz Truss as the UK's Prime Minister. This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Hello and welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I'm Jamie Williamson, editor of Financial Standard. In recent weeks, we've seen a whole lot of craziness in the UK bond market, and with me today to offer a bit of an explainer is Stephen Miller, Investment Strategies Advisor at GSFM. Thanks for joining me today, Stephen. It's a pleasure being here. Can I ask you, we do have quite a varied audience, so their understanding or their, I guess, their knowledge of what's gone on might be quite varied as well. Can you give us a little bit of an explainer as to what actually went wrong in the UK gilt market recently and what led to it? I think the best way to explain this is to use the analogy of a cake. And let's think of a a two-layered cake with a bit of icing on top. And I'd say the first layer was um, a laxity on the part of the Bank of England in, I think, recognising the severity of the inflation challenge that it faced. Now, we know that all central banks, including the Reserve Bank of Australia, we're a little bit late to the party in recognising, if you like, the persistence and magnitude of inflation. You know, you'll recall we're, they're all talking about inflation being the result of sort of transitory influences and pretty soon it would disappear. Now, most central banks like the Fed, like the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, like the Bank of Canada and, and, and maybe the RBA sort of pivoted a little in early 2022 and started to get serious about tackling inflation. Now, the Bank of England started to do that, and then it stopped, and then it started again, and then it stopped, and then the Bank of England governor would appear before parliamentary committees, and he would sort of be reluctant to uh, have the Bank of England be seen to have a frontline role in the fight against inflation. So when markets became a little bit doubtful as to how serious the Bank of England was about the fight uh, against inflation, That was the first signs of a little bit of worry because then bond investors, they start to build in an inflation premium uh, in bond yields. That's the first element of it, if you like. That's the first layer of the cake. Mm -hmm. Now, the second layer of the cake was a lot of policy missteps from the UK government. Um, Now, maybe it wasn't Brexit itself, but it was certainly the consequences of Brexit that were mishandled by Boris Johnson's government. You know, there are a lot of sort of supply constraints and labour shortages that arose directly from Brexit. Now, they need not have, but they did. And as we know, Boris Johnson's government was subject to a lot of distractions, and it probably wasn't applied to the task of managing the consequences of Brexit as it could have been. Now, that's part of the second layer of cake. The third layer uh, came with the the, the trust government's mini-budget, where, as we know, they advocated a series of tax cuts uh, and some uh, sub, uh, some expenditures to subsidise household energy bills. Now, there's nothing wrong with tax cuts per se. In fact, cuts in taxes are generally a good thing, whether they're marginal rates of personal income tax or cuts in corporate taxes. But you've got to sort of introduce these measures if you want to sort of encourage the supply side of consequences of those tax cuts. You've got to introduce them in a measured, staged way, not, you know, sort of do that in a sort of a haphazard and hurried way as occurred, the result of which was markets focusing on a fiscal expansion, so expanding demand when inflation was already a problem, and also debt financing those those measures. So 
what that meant is the government would have to sell more gilts, more bonds, in order to finance these measures. And the gilt market was struggling with inflation. Then it started to struggle with the with the trust government's notion that it was actually going to sell more bonds in order to fund these tax cuts and expenditure measures that they'd implemented. So that again put upward pressure on gilt yields. And so there's the two layers of the cake. And if you like, the icing was what we call the liability-driven investment pension schemes that are in the UK. Now, the UK is substantially, or liability-driven investment is substantially designed to address uh, defined benefit-type pensions. Uh, but, and, and, and there's nothing wrong innately with, a, with an LDI scheme, but what had happened in the UK circumstance was that they'd become slightly levered through derivatives. And what they were doing is effectively using their gilt holdings as collateral. But as gilt yields started to rise or gilt prices started to fall, the value of that collateral diminished. So these LDI schemes became subject to margin calls. And when those margin calls came in in order to finance them, they had to sell more gilt. So this vicious circle developed. And it got to a stage where it appeared that um, the stability of the UK financial system was under some threat. So in late September, you know, the reports were that um, there was no bids for gilts and all people could do was sell it. So that's why the Bank of England stepped in and said, I'll be a backstop. Uh, It's got to stop here. I'll give the opportunity for these LDI pension schemes to sell all the gilts they need to build up buffers so that they can withstand, uh, uh, um, um, you know, some further rises in gilt yields or declines in, in bond prices. So that's, in a nutshell, that's how it evolved. Think of the cake. The first layer of the cake was a policy misstep from the Bank of England for not taking inflation seriously enough, or it allowed that perception to develop, I think is a more um, accurate way of putting it. The second layer was the missteps of both the Johnson government and the Trust government in terms of addressing the Brexit issues and um, and 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 the you know the disastrous mini budget. I think we can call it disastrous, uh, given yeah. what's uh, yeah. what, 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 what's come from it. And then the icing being the fact that maybe the regulatory oversight of some of these LDI schemes wasn't as focused as it should have been, and that allowed this um, these margin calls and selling and vicious circle to develop. So that, in a nutshell, is what, if you like, motivated the, the, the crisis in UK gilts. Taking a couple of hints from your response just then, you're saying that this is probably indicative of something sort of more serious or, or structural? Oh, look, I think policy missteps are always quite serious. I mean, the best we can hope for now is that the Bank of England has learnt from its mistakes and, you know, won't give the appearance at least that it's lax about inflation anymore and that the government has learned from its mistakes that, yes, it's wonderful having lower taxes and all the supply side reforms that might emanate from that, but you've got to do, you've got to implement those sorts of reforms in a holistic, staged way because the benefits accrue on a slow burn basis and you can't do it in a way, as I said, that's hurried and haphazard and has fiscal policy, if you like, monetary policy and dragging the economy in an, in an opposite direction and exacerbating inflation pressures at a time you want to get it down. Last night, we had the UK inflation figures for September, the 10.1%. So, you know, that's not pretty reading. We haven't seen those sorts of numbers, you know, probably since the late 70s, early 80s. 
Yeah. Um, so that's how serious the problem is. So, and and there is some serious challenges remaining. You know, one is you have to look at uh, the regulatory regime that attaches to the LDI sector. Two is, you know, you have to, um, I think the Bank of England needs to revisit, um, you know, its approach to monetary policy. And three is the government and presumably its advisors, whether they be private or in the civil service, I think need to be more forthright in saying how you balance supply side reforms with, you know, the fiscal expansion effects that might sort of emanate from that. So, yes, it is serious. And I think, you know, all those lessons need to be learned. I think the one that's probably most immediate is regulatory oversight of the LDI pension sector, including or or especially uh, in respect of, um, you know, the degree of leverage that was apparent that some of these schemes had. We're guilty of it as well, but a lot of people have been referring to it as a UK crisis. Yeah. But it has had an impact on Australia. What kind of impact has it had and how long do you think that that impact's going to be felt for? Look, it had an impact everywhere. I mean, not only did these LDI pension funds have to sell gilts, you know, they had to sell some of the foreign debt securities that they that, that they held as well. And there are reports in the local press here, I think in the Financial Review, there was a report that among those securities that they are offloading or, or dumping, if I can put that term in quotes, was Australian MBS securities. And what the, what was going on in the UK was it's a long time since the UK da, uh, uh, a tail has wagged the global bond market dog, but that's effectively what was happening. You know, as UK gilt yields were rising, it was dragging up bond yields in most of the developed world with it. Now, most of the developed world's bond yields didn't rise as far as the UK's did through the September quarter, but nevertheless, it dragged up bond yields. I think what it did do was just remind central banks, and as I say, I think the UK was a bit more egregious than most in its um, in its uh, downplaying of the inflation risk, but I did remind, I think, a lot of central banks that they do need to keep an eye on the inflation ball, and I think that was a good message to come to come out of this. So it did have consequences. I think they are probably got. They have probably got to a stage where they're mostly manageable, but uh, they did have consequences. And I think, you know, the, the other lesson that I take from this, and you know, no matter, how, no matter, I've been in financial markets for close to forty years, and it it stuns me how frequently that financial market practitioners have to learn the lesson about the dangers of excess leverage. Now, as I said, the icing on the cake in this problem was probably one of excess leverage. But we've seen problems like this before. What motivated the GFC was excess leverage. What motivated the tech wreck was excess leverage. What motivated, you know, um, um, the travails of the Australian corporate sector in the late 80s was excess leverage. So I think the big takeout from this is, yes, it has an impact on Australia. We're probably a little bit insulated in terms of the specific form of of what happened in the UK happening here because we've got a a funded, defined contribution superannuation slash pension scheme in the main. But the thematic danger, if you like, was one of excess leverage. And that can come up and and manifest itself as a problem in many, many, many forms. And I think what that means is that what the regulators here need to be focused on and what the regulators everywhere need to be focused on is the dangers of excess leverage. Yeah. And you've just briefly kind of touched on it there, but we do have a, a 
very kind of small market in terms of defined benefit schemes here in Australia. But is this something that could possibly happen in Australia? I think it's less likely. Um, As I say, the specific form is less likely because you know, thanks to the uh, the reforms back in the you know in the mid '80s, we have a mostly funded superannuation system. I'm not saying it's perfect. You know, the, 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 it could always be improved. But in terms of um, uh, visiting problems associated with LDI investments on the Australian uh, uh, financial market, I think that's less likely. But as I say. That doesn't mean that there are some risks in the Australian system that are associated with excess leverage, which could happen here. So a simple example might be, and I'm not saying, I'm not predicting this, and and I'm not expecting this to happen, but from time to time, we've sort of seen in Australia where there's been concerns about the amount of leverage in, say, residential real estate, and that if we're a bubble to develop in residential real estate, and that would have pop. What would that mean for the banks and what would that mean for the financial system? So whilst it might not manifest itself in the pension or superannuation sector in Australia, there are other ways where excess leverage can manifest itself, if you like, in a, a in a systemic way in the financial system in Australia, as there is everywhere. And, and I've instanced those, those, those consequences of excess leverage that we've seen in the past, like the GFC and the check break and, and what have you. Finally. After having discussed all of this and obviously, you know, thinking about where we're at right now, yep. what's your kind of general outlook now for the UK bond market and I guess bond markets globally? Uh, well, as I say, you know, I'm I'm probably older than probably much of your your listening audience. Um, That's not true. Which means that, you know, which means I I have a specific memory of uh, the difficulties in containing breakout inflation that happened from the mid-70s, say, to the early 80s. Um, and and I guess I, I'm sort of thinking in the US at least, and perhaps in Australia, although less uh, with less conviction, that the, the bulk of the cyclical increase in bond yields is behind us. Having said that, I think where where do I see, you know, the pressure point? Do I see the risks as being lower yields or higher yields, I do think they are higher yields. And why do I think that? The first is that markets, I think, were very slow in getting their heads around where central banks had to take policy rates. And they've probably only recently, and and recently I mean the last few weeks, got to somewhere close to what the central banks are also thinking. Um, And I think as part and parcel of that, markets have been too optimistic in the rapidity with which they think inflation might fall. So I think inflation might take longer to fall than what markets are contemplating. So the consequence of that is whilst markets might be getting where the terminal policy rate needs to be, you know, somewhere that's near alignment with the central banks, they're probably too eager to see that policy rate tip over. I think policy rates may stay elevated for a longer period than what markets are thinking just to try and get all that inflation um, poison, if I can use that term, inflation poison out of the system. So I think whilst the, the bulk of the cyclical increase in bond yields is behind us, what we the, the risk is to the upside, and, and even if, if, if that, it is behind us, we're at a plateau, not the top of a hill and about to go down, 
we're at the top of a hill and we're on a on a plateau. And I think that's the best way to think of things, that we need to get used to 10-year bond yields in the US and in Australia at somewhere between 4 and 5% going forward. In the UK, because of the magnitude of the earlier policy missteps, particularly by the Bank of England and, and the UK government, I think the chances of yields going even higher are greater. And the reason for that is because it was sort of slow getting out of the box relative to other central banks, I think the Bank of England now has to really uh, jack up its th their policy rate. So we've got a Bank of England meeting on November the 3rd. I won't be surprised to see them increase the policy rate by 100 basis points at that meeting. Wow. And I think they'll need to go higher because the inflation problem is bigger. And I think if the policy rate needs to go higher and the inflation problem is bigger, that there's an even greater risk that UK yields do go higher, even if the immediate danger associated with LDI investment schemes is behind us. There's other dangers out there, and they're associated with intractable inflation in the UK and the fact that it has to get the budget back in repair, even if they've sort of gone some way to undoing the mistakes of September uh, already. So that's my outlook. Um, as I say, I might be overly biased by, uh, you know, having had my my formative years um, through the 70s and early 80s in that high inflation period. But then again, the biases of, of, of a much younger age co cohort than me might not be sufficiently attuned to, you know, how sticky inflation can be. And I'll just give you an instance of this. And this is what a number of Fed, Fed spokespeople are on about recently. We've had a lot of upside surprises in inflation in the US recently. We also had them in the UK and Canada overnight. Australia gets numbers next week. I expect that we're vulnerable to an upside surprise here. We had one in New Zealand on Tuesday. So we're getting upside surprises everywhere. And why are we getting that even when commodity prices have turned over and supply chain bottlenecks are eating? Well, it's because inflation has spread from the goods sector, from the commodity sector, into the services sector and into wages. And that's why inflation might be a little bit more intractable going forward. And that's why I guess I'm slightly pessimistic that we'll get even higher bond yields from here, even though I do emphasise that the bulk of the increase in yields, the bulk of the cyclical increase in yields is probably behind us. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, speaking for myself, I certainly understand what's been going on a lot better now. And I think that in times of sort of uncertainty that we're seeing, experience obviously is what we all hope to have and 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 look to so you <laughs> so. that very kindly thank you <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us again this afternoon Stephen um, yep. and hopefully we might be able to, able to catch up with you again sometime soon oh look I'd, I'd, I'd love that and thank you very much for hosting me no worries thank you thanks for listening to this financial standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice.